If you've been around me for any significant amount of time, you likely know that my mother is a hero of mine. And not in that cute, I love my mom, you guys, kind of way. But more like, I hope I can be the kind of resilient and faithful and strong person that she is someday. From her really difficult childhood, marked by various in-house abuses and financial destitution, to her adventures west from Albuquerque, New Mexico to California, to the way she held our family together while my father was falling apart, and more recently, to the relentless way she cares for me and for my kids. I marvel at her parenthood. Which leads me to this. The significance of parenthood seems to often elude faithful and respectful conversation. It's either idolized in a kind of glass box and set aside untouched by critique, or it's minimized in a smaller cardboard box and cast aside so that it doesn't touch other vital things in life. Parenthood is often treated as either the altar on which other aspects of life must be sacrificed or the pit of despair that must be avoided so that other aspects of life can be enjoyed and pursued. Either way, the battle lines are drawn. Career versus parenthood. Adventure versus parenthood. Romance versus parenthood. Ministry versus parenthood. Art making versus parenthood. And on and on. There seems to be very little middle ground. And then... This Kyla Craig, whose practice of integrating her parenthood and her career and her adventure and romance and ministry and art is something like a marvel and, more important, something like a beacon and a call forward. She is, like I am, a parent. She's also working on a book of prayers for parents while co-hosting the Upside Down podcast, on which I've been a guest, and producing a podcast called Sacred Ordinary Days. And what I love about her posture in all of this is that she doesn't think it makes her special, she thinks it makes her normal. Well, I like her brand of normal, and I think you will too. This is my conversation with Kyla Craig. Check it out. I don't know why I had you in the Pacific Northwest in my head, but that's not where you live. No, I live in the Midwest. Which, that's fine, but where, where are you now? Like, where are you calling me from? I'm calling you from Des Moines, Iowa. Are you from Des Moines? Um, yeah, I'm from Iowa. Yeah, Eastern Iowa. Okay, and you have, uh, have and you have never left. Uh, no, just a brief stint in Minnesota. For did you lose a bet? How'd you end up in Minnesota <laughs> for a minute? Uh, just when I was a kid, my dad's job. Okay, good. Yeah. So what does it mean for you to be from Iowa? Do you, do you feel like I'm an Iowan? Do you feel like, is that, there's an, is there an identity tag to that to some degree? That's a hard question right now because Iowa is in just the hot seat of COVID. Our cases are really, really, really high. Um, and it's just kind of not feeling great to live here right now, hmm. but, um, you know, I like unusually great, unusually not great because of COVID yeah. and how, how yeah, that and how, and how it's being handled and leadership oh. and, you know, just kind of what you hear some of your neighbors say that are really harmful to other neighbors. And, um, yeah, just kind of a and hard that's place. Per- and that's particularly troubling and difficult for you in your household. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. Okay. Yep. So how do you, how do you manage that? What are you doing? Well, for, for COVID specifically, um, you know, we're staying home. 
Um, my daughter has a compromised immune system. I have a son that has a compromised immune system and, um, I have the privilege to be able to work from home. Um, so I get to be able to make that decision and I hope that that decision, um, keeps everybody safe, not just the people in my immediate household, you know? Yeah. There is something about neighborliness. Is there not that the, the COVID season, exposes and challenges and hones and it's like a it's like a of the things that the the season is um i don't know monolithic about that's really one of them like what what does it mean to belong to the people we live near around etc that's a it's it's one of the things that's really come to the fore like oh we don't mean the same thing when we say neighbor (laughs) right we don't mean the same thing at all yeah yeah it's glaringly obvious (laughs) does so do you do you find yourself actually in a place in which you are i I don't use the word despairing words like you're questioning where you live because has it drawn out of your place in iowa a sense of like i'm not sure this is where i want to belong like what where where do you (laughs) land Yeah, I don't know. Um, You know, I want to have a sense of like rootedness for our kids and not, you know, drag them across the country um, just on my emotions and feelings. And I love being um, somewhat close to family. But um, yeah, watching watching some of the vitriol, um, some of the extreme partisanship um, and how that is just affecting people's care for one another is discouraging um and when you see it in such a like (laughs) brash contrast it's um it's hard to you know know that those are the people that you're living with and and are called to love and um yeah it's challenging did you grow up with a sense of like this is my neighbor um like how how do you come to a place where like it matters and you're conscious of it because not I mean, you and I both know it's like, this is not, not a conversation. This is a conversation and how we live with one another to some degree, but it gets coded, right? It's like, right. are you pro, <laughs> so I can't believe I'm going to say this. Are you <laughs> pro mask? Or are you not pro mask? Are you, <laughs> do you believe in the pandemic? <laughs> do you believe in the yeah. virus or do you not believe? Like it gets coded right? like that. And that's, yeah. that's a way to have the conversation. It's a shit way to have the conversation. It's a way yeah. to have the conversation. But the conversation underneath that is how do I relate to and care for and love and respect my neighbor? Right. Did you, did you grow up with that sense? Do you live with it now? Like, how did you come to a place where yeah. like, hey, it matters that, right. that my, you know, and, and it, cause you do both things, which is fascinating in the way you communicate. And we can talk more. I would, we're going to talk more about this as we go along. You do both things really interestingly responsibly where you, you point outwardly, to like, hey, you know, our neighbors, uh, uh, you talk about you know, on your podcast, you talk about blackness and you talk about femininity and feminism to some great degree, et cetera. And like, here's, here's what it looks like for people who live in the world. Please understand what it looks like to, to be a black woman. Please understand. But you also like put your family on, uh, on, I don't say on display in a bad way, but like, hey, this is what it looks like to be um, a, a mother trying to live with, uh, with, you know, kids who are immunocompromised. And you sort of ask both questions of people. You're hyper conscious of neighborliness. Did you like, how did that happen for you? How do you get there? Yeah, I don't know. That's a great question. I think one of the memories I have of my mom, um, I went to public school my whole life in a pretty, um, 
working class. I don't know. I feel like that's the phrase that we're hearing a lot, but very blue collar um, part of town that was very um, diverse. And um, I loved it. It was a great school. And my mom was heavily involved in volunteering. And I remember as a kid watching her who has a very different personality than me. She doesn't (laughs) lean into conflict. Well, I do. (laughs) Hmm. Um, But she really took a stand when our lunchroom, our cafeteria was not serving children who could not afford um, or hmm. their parents, for whatever reason, were not paying for them to have lunches. They didn't have money in their accounts and they were not getting the same hot meal as everyone else. They were getting like the small, plain peanut butter sandwich in a bag. And I remember watching my mom take it to the top and advocate hmm. um, on behalf of these kids. And I think seeing that is just one thing that really stuck with me that you hmm. enter into hard conversations when it benefits somebody who is vulnerable and somebody who is marginalized or oppressed. And I think for me, um, my faith then really helped me shape that as I started, you know, to deconstruct and reconstruct what Christianity meant to hmm. me. I started reading the gospels and seeing like, wow, Jesus actually really cares about this. Um, Somebody that we just recently had on Upside Down Podcast, Drew Hart, he's wonderful. But he was like, you know, a lot of us like to talk about the birth of Christ and the death of Christ and everything else we just kind of gloss over in Western Christianity. And for me, reading about the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus has really shaped who I, you know, stumbling, grasping, try to be at my, when I'm at my best, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it plays out now on pod, uh, you know, the podcast, How, does it play out in, I mean, it's part of the disappointment, right? And to some degree it's playing out in, in neighborliness and like direct relationship. Um, How, like how in touch with your direct neighbors are you? Are you, are you someone who like, Someone pops by to borrow butter, stops in, hangs out. Is it like the Bravermans? I mean, do you guys have Gosh, like... I wish. Wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> I, I wanted... We watched that show. And we watched the, the show. This is us. We watched that show, I, you know, whenever it was on and we, you know, we had Hulu and Amy and I, my, my wife and I, we watched this show. I'm like, I, I want to be the Bravermans. <laughs> it's like yeah. super... Thanks. But then I was like, cool. but I'm also not actually available at 3.30 in the afternoon because I right. have shit to do. But... Yeah. <laughs> So were it not true, you know, but yes, but like, are you in, are you tied in? Do you have like other, uh, like, how does your, how does your physical neighborliness work? What's that look like for you? Well, that's something that I wish was stronger, to be honest. Um, You know, we have, what I really like about our neighborhood is that we're intentionally not in a place where everyone looks like us Um, and like our neighbors across the street are Bosnian. Um, We have a biracial family. We have an African-American family. Like we just have, um, you know, we're not in like the, we're in like the first ring suburb, if that makes sense. So it's like, 
<laughs> not the suburb that everybody wants to move out to. It's not like the bougie suburbs, <laughs> hmm, <laughs> but right. it's like the just the ordinary people, 1970s split level neighborhood where we're all just, you know, kind of together. And it's not, um, you know, super fancy and it's not super poor and it I don't know like I just really appreciate that about our neighborhood Hmm. but what is a bummer is that in Iowa our seasons are so pronounced that I feel like people hibernate for half the year interesting and so it makes it really difficult to truly get to know your neighbor when everyone is inside and it you know it's dark at five o'clock and it's just go to work and you go to school and you come home. And then this year has been particularly very difficult because those times when we would see our neighbors, like our physical, actual neighbors, we're just not seeing them because we're all separate, you know, we're hmm. all distance. And so it's like a wave or a, a check-in or a hi, but you know, we're just not seeing each other like we used to. And, and it's hard to know how to even do it while staying safe and yeah so it's kind of it's kind of hard and i'm ready for all of this to be over so we can be in proximity in better ways again talk a little bit more about so um you, you mentioned being home with your kids and working from home um by way of not just like breaking down like tell me what you do like, what does it look like to live a day? And I want to get in a little bit of this, um, like in the functional philosophical sense. So talk about what a day looks like for you. Um, by way, like and, and this as a way to sort of introduce people to what it looks like for you to, to do what you do and, and, and what have you. But like you're you're working from home. What do you get? What do you get to do that keeps you home and even get into? Because the, the, the second layer of this question is like. Um, it's not a balance. I'm going to do the thing, right? It's not like this, like, how do you as a woman balance parenthood with working as if like, here's this <laughs> unique thing. Like men are like, oh, I don't have to, but you like, you, like your life, uh, is, uh, from the outside is, um, wildly integrated that like who, who you are publicly, there isn't this like thick black line where this there's just on the other side of this is your private life there there's, there's this integration there um that's there's a bit of a risk that you take um by doing that but so talk about like what's it look like for you to live a day or live a week how what what's it look like for you to be you in your world you're sharing online you're parenting you're writing you're podcasting can you talk a little bit about that just kind of like walk me through a week or a day yeah absolutely so i have four kids which colors everything that I do um, as just as a writer, as a podcaster, as a as a human, as a neighbor, um, ages 10 to four. And they joined my family through um, biology and through adoption. And all of my kids have just a wide range of personality and need. Um, my daughter specifically is disabled. She has Down syndrome, but she also has some significant medical um, and developmental needs that go beyond um, typical Down syndrome. So she, I would say raising her in the pandemic has been the easiest and also the most difficult. She's very easygoing, so sweet, um, just has 
a bubbly and kind personality. Um, but it also is very difficult because she's not able to go to the day program she used to go where we don't have any help with any therapy. So <laughs> in, a day, in a week, we're doing, my husband and I split, but we do occupational therapy, physical therapy, feeding therapy, and language therapy, all um, via telehealth right now. Um, she has a G tube. So just the feedings alone take a long time to yeah. do. And then the rest of it, we're feeding her, you know, by mouth. Um, she, uh, you know, is, she's almost five, but the care for her is very much like somebody, um, developmentally that was a lot younger. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it's just, just care for her just looks different in this time. Um, but also we're keeping her safe by having her home and yeah. she's thrived and she's actually huh. done really well in her therapy. She's worked really hard and it has been a real gift to get to slow down and spend that time with her. And you know, it's not like every time is this, you know, sacred spiritual experience, but there is something about one of the techniques I learned in occupational therapy was uh, massage therapy with her hmm. and just getting to slow down and, experience touch with each other in a time when we're so disconnected um, has been has been a real gift um, and so all of my kids are doing remote school so they have a teacher that they log in with and do school that way. And then I work um, part-time as a podcast producer for Sacred Ordinary Days. I actually just um, started working with the team and they're, they're a great um, team that creates rooted resources based on the liturgical um, year and Christian spiritual formation. Your book is in the shop, actually. Um, so I'm really, really enjoying work launching in Advent, um, a new, a new series. And I get to produce that. So I work at the kitchen table. I work in the laundry room in a little corner closet <laughs> that we got rid of our storage. <laughs> and there's a, sl a small, um, you know, mic and desk and little podcasting setup on the other side. It's a curtain and it goes into m my boy's closet in their bedroom. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's a very, very glamorous. Um, and my husband's a pastor, which being a pastor in this time is difficult for about 1 billion reasons on top of when it's already difficult to be um, in ministry. And, but he, one of the, the good things is that um, he's been officing from home a lot. So the burden of, um, I don't know if burden is the right word, but just the work of childcare while working is not all on me. Um, and we really have a partnership and I could not do what I do without having somebody else. Um, especially, you know, in this time, normally I work remotely, but my kids are at school and have childcare and mm -hmm. this is, this is not, um, normal, but mm -hmm. it's not normal for anybody in whatever, life is looking like and we're making it work and we're doing the best that we can. And, yeah. um, 
in the in the midst of all of this, I, <laughs> I'm writing a book. So I <laughs> um, I wrote the manuscript over the summer, and now I'm in the process of doing those batch edits. Um, and it's about and, and it's a, a, it's a prayer book of sorts, correct? It's it it's is. not like a book about prayer. I mean, this is a prayer oh, book, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's a collection of prayers, um, tentatively titled "Liturgies for Parents," mm. and I have to say, um, your book with Scott, both of your books have really, they really spoke to me in a hard time in my life and really helps me realize the power in the words of another. And Hmm. just that rootedness of when I didn't have words to pray for myself, somebody else had the words and said, you know, here, take mine. And that helped me in, um, some really difficult seasons um, with my daughter when she was very sick. And as I was thinking about my four kids and how different each of them is for so many different reasons, um, I just thought, what about if there was a book that that leaned into the beauty and the wonder of the everyday, but also the lament and the grief and the, and the hard things that parents are, you know, wrestling with. Like, what do you pray when your kid comes home after a school shooting drill? You know, like, well, what are the words that we have to, to pray for, um, creation care? What are the words we have to pray for, um, raising a, a son that, goes against kind of the norms of what can be really toxic masculinity. But then also what, what do we pray when we want to go on a walk with our kids and, and just explore and, um, see all that to me. And this is a place where you and I, uh, overlap here to me. That just sounds like good religion period. Like that just doesn't like, you know, it doesn't sound like, Oh, alternative practices. It just does like, (laughs) no, that just sounds like what you should be doing. Like, why is this not the thing? And it's, it's an odd, it really is. And you, again, this is part of why you and I overlap here is like, because your husband works as a pastor, because I've worked as a pastor, I get, I get, and I see the institutional side of things. I get it. I understand why like the 90 minute thing on Sunday clicks with folks. I don't disagree. That's fine. But good God, like, like it's 90 minutes y'all. And there's, and you can only do so much with 90 minutes and the expectations that come with 90 minutes. The rest of the stuff is like good religion meets people literally where they are. And it's strange. Is it not that there are so few, and I don't often talk this way, but around religion, I do the strange that there are so few with the courage and like the creative will to actually create and maintain that kind of culture to, to just hand stuff over and say, Hey, this either works for your life or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, let's try to find something else as opposed to, Here's this thing, <laughs> like we bought a building, we hired a youth pastor, we like we got chairs and we have a projector. The projector was $10,000. No one knows why, but it was. <laughs> and and now because we, we have this big thing we've invested in, we really need you to need it so that we can keep it alive. Yeah. <laughs> and like, wait, where did that, like, how did that become the thing? How much kinder and more, I don't know, Christ-like it is to say, I'm going to meet you right where you are. And when you change, we'll talk about what it is you need next and then go from there. I mean, that's just sounds like that just sounds like what ought to be happening. And it's weird that it sounds it's weird that it's spoken of as alternative or niche because it's just not. Right, right, right. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like this is not anything I feel like is necessarily profound. It's just what I'm seeing um, in scripture, what I'm seeing in my own life play out. And so. Can you talk a little bit about the, the, um, and I mentioned this sort of the pu- public to private line that some folks draw and that can be fine. It can be, I don't, well, I don't really know. This is part of I ask this question. I can't figure out if it's just a matter of like person to person, household to household, but from the standpoint of like cultural leadership, because as part of what you do is you lead culturally, you share about your family. It's part of, it's part of your story. It's part of how you lead. It's part of what you're leading as well. Can you talk about the tensions? Like, are, are there boundaries to some degree? Are there, or, um, in terms of like, this is what it looks like for me to mother. This is what it looks like for me to be a wife. Like, how do you navigate that where like you're sharing, you're being vulnerable and leading with your whole life versus, and I don't know what this would look like for you versus like oversharing and being like uh, exposed. Cause there's, that's like a thing there, right? It's like there's vulnerability mm-hmm. and then there's being like exposed where like, yeah. this is not healthy. Do you, right. <laughs> do you, is that a day-to-day moment to moment thing? Do you have some hard lines? Do you like, do you sit down with a therapist yeah. who says, listen, no, like how do you navigate <laughs> that? I, maybe I should. That's not a bad idea for all of us. <laughs> the, um, the no therapist, you will not talk yes. about these things. You will not talk about these things. And these things are all of limits, not these ones. These are. Um, you know, I do have definite, um, there, there are boundaries that I do not share about my kids and I've become more, um, boundaried as, Hmm. as they've gotten older. And just as I have learned, you know, I've listened to, so I have two kids that are transracially adopted. I've, as I've listened to transracial adoptees that are adults, Hmm. I have learned from them what is harmful, what is helpful. Hmm. And so a lot of what I share I try to just share my experience as a mother and not their private stories and experiences and struggles. Like if I wouldn't want that shared, why would I Hmm. put that on the internet for anybody else to see about anybody else, you know, my kids are are not, you know? And so there's a lot of, um, you know, private things that never will see the light of day, Hmm. but I try in my writing, in my podcasting, to use stories. Um, I was a journalist in another life before, um, and I still do some freelancing, but I, you know, I worked in a newspaper, worked in a magazine, and the power of a story is really powerful to me. I see it, you know, I see it in the Bible, right? Like there's this full of stories. And so I try to share smaller stories that have, like in the micro, um, share the macro. So in the, in the small sharing the big experiences that everybody can relate to, whether or not their experiences are anywhere near mine Mm -hmm. or not. Um, but I definitely, you know, I'm not somebody who's going to put a journal out on to Instagram. (laughs) Um, and so I think, um, you know, and, and I still try to be integrated and be my whole self, um, whether that's professionally or um, personally. And and I do feel like when I was a journalist, there was a lot of things I couldn't put on Twitter or Hmm. I couldn't share um, because I tried to keep 
more of a boundary of yes. being, you know, unbiased or impartial. Um, it didn't share a lot about faith. It didn't share about politics. That was just wasn't what I did. And now um, my writing is just more holistic. But there are a lot of things, you know, as a person who has a partner in ministry, there's a lot of things that I don't share. And mm. it's not necessarily because I have a gag order on me, but... <laughs> I just try to be respectful <laughs> yeah. um, and honoring um, to a lot of different experiences while yeah. still standing firm on what I believe to be um, true. One of the things you do well that I've, um, I don't, I don't, well, I'm not practice that. I don't do a ton of that, a ton, a ton of what you do. Um, but you do, um, you write about your experience of another person instead of writing about the other person. In other words, like when we get into writing, writing other people's stories, right? Like right. there is this, there is a permission to some degree that someone can grant you. Yes. Right. You, you can write this story, write my story, but like the more fundamental reality of those things is like, you never really get to like only, only I can tell my story as my story. You're always, if I'm writing about you, I'm always writing to some degree about my experience of you. So you do this really right. good job of actually doing that. You just kind of go to that and, and lean in. Like, I can't tell a story about, I can't, to, I can't tell a black story. I can tell right. a story about my experience of blackness. And you do a really good job of like, it's really clear that it's like, you're not writing from the perspective of your kids. Right. This is your perspective. This is your story in this context. And I think that's, I think that's not just highly responsible. It's really good leadership. You also do it online, which is tr tricky. Um, to, it's different than putting it in a, in a book. A lot of what you do ends up in podcast form or, you know, can you talk about your experience online as a, a as a woman online, it's a more dangerous place for women than it is like uh, Instagram can be a more dangerous place for women. I watched, um, or even Twitter, I, you know, you spend some time Twitter, Twitter's mm -hmm. freaking landmine for, yeah. for women in positions of power. I watched, you know, one of my heroes, Kirsten Powers from, from, you know, USA Today, CNN, she's brilliant, yes. thoughtful. She wrote every time she writes anything with any sort of cultural, spiritual authority about like, a, you know, a way to live, a way to think about something. She absolutely gets just like pummeled by men about mm. her, like the right she has to tell these stories, what authority she has. And then like all these like, you know, you know curveballs and flaming arrows about her appearance and what she wears and her makeup. It's like, good God. Like it's, it's like, yeah. it's such a terrifying place in ways that like, I, I will never run into that. Like no one will ever jump mm -hmm. on my case for what I'm wearing in a video ever. It'll never come up. Um, so it's a, it's a strange and more difficult place as a woman. Um, I'd love to hear you talk about like you again, sharing more vulnerably, vulnerably about your life, your story, your experience of being online and getting feedback, mm -hmm. not just from, not just from men, but from folks in general. Do you feel how should I say this? Do you feel like it's a safer place for you? How do you curate places? Like how, how have you created a space for yourself where like you feel comfortable online? Can you talk about that story or maybe even share about like here ways in which it's just not, and I won't do this and I won't do that. Right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I've had like a varied <laughs> experience. I think as we all probably have, we've had like, I have made dear friends 
through connecting on the internet. Like mm-hmm. everything we do with Upside Down Podcast is 100% remote. We're all in different states across the country. These are women that I might not know otherwise who are my co-hosts. And all of it initially happened via some form of social media or, or blogging back in the day. So I feel really grateful and for that experience because it's really formed um, my experience on the internet. And so that has been really healthy and good, especially in a time where um, we might not be getting our full community in person. Right. That, that has been um, just like a gift of grace, really. But on the flip side is that when it, whenever anybody sees you and they're holding you in your hand and in their hand and they're seeing your pictures and your words, they start to feel like they know you. And in some ways that can be really beautiful and profound and good, but it also can be kind of dangerous because then it's like, well, I own you. And so you will say what I want you to say. And so when you say Black Lives Matter, I am going to come into your DMs or I'm going to comment yeah. and I, and, and then it starts to be uh, just a lot. <laughs> and so um, I feel like anytime I, I say anything that isn't just a really comfortable faith perspective for a lot of white women, I always lose followers. And that is just something that I'm okay with because mm-hmm. I never want um to not say it, you know? Um, and I would rather like, I'm not here as a writer and as a, as a a podcaster, you know, you, you want to be able to reach as many people with the message that you have, but not at the risk of losing your soul, you know? And so for me, like, I want to honor people. I don't want to make them feel hurt. I don't want to harm somebody, but I'm also going to, to speak those things that I feel like, Hmm are true and right. And, and to do that with mercy, but you know, I think a lot of times we can conflate the whole like peacekeeping with peacemaking. And I, and I harp on it all the time because I'm not just going to be passive and, and just let everything go. And, and that, is peacekeeping and peacemaking hmm. is entering in to that hard conversation for the flourishing of all people. And yeah. sometimes it hurts and sometimes, um, it'll, it, a lot of times, all times it'll cost you something, but it's worth it, you know? Hmm. And so the internet is, it's a beautiful, wonderful, wicked place. <laughs> in 2016, I left Twitter because there were so many white supremacists attacking um, white parents of black children. And they were actually posting people's addresses. And I was just like, no, like no, I can't. That. That's just I just can't be in this space at this time. And I only recently kind of started like treading water, getting back in um, that space because there is a lot of great um, thought happening, you know, on there. But it's also like anything kind of dangerous. So um, we have to be wise. And I think we always have to be reassessing. um, And that's something that I'm constantly doing and, and knowing that when I share my experience it is my family's experience and always honoring them Mm -hmm. and choosing them over anything else. Yeah. There's a, there's the sort of intention there to some degree, like 
in the same way the you know a neighborhood to some degree can be um is it's can be beautiful and wonderful and really dangerous and terrifying and gross and I mean, it sounds like the bar scene, right? It's like, this can be great. <laughs> and also really threatening depending on who you are. And so it depends right. to some degree. I mean, like Facebook is what, 16 years old? Wow. 16. Really? That's what I'm saying. It's like, it's 16. Like, of, of course it's a freaking mess. It's a teenager. Like, it's, of course, like, it's utterly confused <laughs> well, about it? who it is and what it's supposed to be doing. It's 16. Um, and the, the, like the approach, like the, the, like, what are you wanting and expecting from this? changes mm-hmm. and you almost said it i don't know if you i don't know if you're going to go all the way down the line here but in terms of like your role you're like i'm not here to make friends <laughs> like there are ways in which like you can if that happens great but if you go in helping especially if you're a person of you know in a in a position of power and authority or you're like you're bringing news and stories and you're informing and you're teaching if you're in that sort of you know um leg up posture yeah maybe you shouldn't expect to make friends and if like if that happens great but it's probably not a safe enough place or developed enough place where you can do both things if you're going to go storytell and teach then expect to have conversations but don't expect to like <laughs> develop intimate relationships with folks you'll be like i'm so glad i spend three hours a day fighting with people on twitter because i would have no friends if i didn't right <laughs> When you talk about practices and uh, and uh, and like religious practices uh, for for you, your life, how much of what you're doing in terms of uh, sharing, like your book on prayers, your your prayer book, which that's a Tyndale book and it and it drops in like September, is that right? Yeah, next next fall. So that's the plan, anyway. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Um, how much of what uh, your making public is stuff that is like from your life and, and how does that process work? And here's why I ask is I had a conversation the other day with someone about like they, and I hadn't, I never, well, I shouldn't say I'd never thought about it, but they, they came through the door of like, listen, it's weird for me that you, um, you've written uh, prayer books. And I said, okay, why? <laughs> like, I'd like to know why that is. Like, what is it about me? And they said, because like prayer is a thing that happens personally. So if these are your personal prayers and then you make them public, like, doesn't that ruin prayer for you? And I was like, um, that's such a weird, interesting question. I hadn't thought about that. That if like, and her take was if, if your prayer, if you're writing prayer books, this is her push on me. If you're writing prayer books, then doesn't that change the nature of your prayer life so that you're, th- you're not just thinking about connecting with the divine in some sort of practice. You're hoping it works so you can sell it to other people. And I was like, Oh wow. Um, I don't even know how to answer that question because like there is this place where like, I, I do want what I, what happens in my life to be transferable so I can lead and help other people. And I don't really know actually how like much that plays into what's going on with me internally. So I thought about it a lot over the course of the last like eight, nine months since that conversation. I'm like, I don't really know where that line is. Are you conscious of that? Like as you're, as you're, um, as you're practicing your own religion in your own space, your, you know, uh, like your own personal liturgies with your family, how conscious are you of like, this is going to be something I pass on, or is it like, hey, like there isn't a divi- there isn't a thing here. It's kind of divided. I think about this differently. How does that work for you? 
Yeah. I think it's really interesting to think about prayer as commodity and, or prayer as something for the people. And so for me, I feel like the prayers that I write at my best when, when I'm being intentional and I'm just entering into conversation with the divine, is just this outpouring of, of, you know, entering into my story and also other stories. Like Hmm. I interviewed, um, quite a few people that had different parenting experiences as I was writing the book, kind of bringing in that journalistic component, knowing my limitations as a white middle-class woman, you know, like Hmm. I, I only have the experiences that I have. And so, um, I, I felt like the spirit, helped me enter into um, writing about some experiences that I personally didn't have. And my hope is that I hold those up and honor other experiences um, in, in these prayers. And, you know, I started writing these liturgies for parents on Instagram just because I thought maybe they would help somebody else. And there was no, ulterior motive, you know, there was no, like, I hope to sell off this Instagram or, you know what I mean? Like I just had these inside me and felt like there was this kind of, you know, largeness to get out in, in the way that it was coming out was in, um, you know, kind of these modern liturgical spins for parents. And so I just put them out there and I, started to see that other people were connecting with them. And so, you know, I think we need some corporate um, prayer in our lives. Like we need those litanies. We need to pray together. And that doesn't take away from those small moments of my own inner prayer, inner work that, you know, I'm doing day to day when I'm throwing in the laundry or when I'm taking a walk with my four-year-old or when I'm feeding my daughter and her G-tube, you know, like those are all, I think, a form of prayer. And, um, and we have all different types of prayer. And so I think, you know, when, when you or I are writing out these prayers, it's not, you know, at least it shouldn't be something to just like pat ourselves on our back and be like, well, we've somehow managed to get the spiritual and the professional combined, pat ourselves on the back and get paid to pray, you know? Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully that's not, that's not the case. <laughs> no, apparently it's a really good gig for those who can get it, but it's not, it's not mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the, the big public prayer thing it pays off for folks who want to travel the country and do that. Mm. Um, but it's not probably not healthy. Um, the podcasts that you're, you, um, you're host of a podcast. You are, um, a producer of a podcast. Um, talk a little bit about your, your history here. Um, you, I mean, the, you helped, I mean, you were one of the first Right. I mean, I think you, co- I think you, you co-founded the Upside Down podcast. Yeah. Um. And was this? This is the the day and age where it's like, oh, everyone's got a podcast. I'm like, I don't know that everyone has a podcast. And more to the point, like, some people are really good at it. <laughs> like, yes, you can grab a mic and record <laughs> it and upload it. I don't, I don't know what that is though. Um. Talk a little bit about like your history here w- with the the art of podcasting and. Um, like this becoming a, a, the relatively central part of your life and expression. Um, 
was that the, did you go in thinking like, we want to have a podcast and we're going to do X many episodes or was it like, we're going to try this thing out. Like, how did you navigate the beginning of the thing? And then were there markers for like, yes, we'll continue to do this and we'll make plans in the future. Because that's part of how the, 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 so the creative journey works, not all the way across the board, but oftentimes if we're wise about it, right, there's a, an idea maybe a, pa- a passion, maybe kind of a burning sense of like, I think I'm supposed to try. And then there's theoretically, hopefully like a season of experimentation and then maybe some metrics about what we do next, you know, do next or do different. You're working with a team of people. So how did it work like to develop the idea, to have the idea, to implement it, and then to rethink it? What would that look like? Mm, yeah, that's a great question. I kind of consider myself like a contemplative extrovert. So I love thinking about deep things and I love thinking about it with other people. <laughs> I am yeah. a, I'm a verbal processor. I want to talk. I want to listen. My husband says I go into journalistic mode when I'm talking to someone and I just start like asking them questions and then I just keep asking them questions. And then sometimes I leave a conversation and I'm like, well, I never got to say anything. And he's like, that's because you kept asking them questions. <laughs> but I just, I'm really fascinated with, um, you know, words. And so mm. I'm a writer, right? Like that. I feel like writing is, is a vocation for me. Um, it's what I studied in college. I love telling stories, but I also love that verbal aspect of connecting. I love yes. people. That's why I wanted to be a, a journalist. That's why I was a reporter hmm. because I love sitting down with somebody and listening to their story and sharing it with more people. And so that's what you do on a podcast. And hmm. we, um, I was in a, a group with some other writers at the times and Christian, they were other women, just remote. Um, it was 2015. I was definitely in the throes of parenting very young children. We were in a small town where I was pretty isolated. And so being able to write on the internet was an outlet for me as somebody who was working, you know, full time and now not and having all of this creative energy, having these thoughts about faith and culture and not really having a place to put it out necessarily. Hmm. And so I, I had this group of women, um, and I was like, Hey, let's start a podcast. And everyone was like, no, (laughs) (laughs) like, what are you thinking? And I'm like, Oh, come on. My husband says he'll edit it for us. I'll build the website. Like, let's just try it. And so I convinced everybody to, you know, put in their Apple headphones, (laughs) like so not fancy. We had, you know, I don't know even what we were using at the time for recording. It, It wasn't great at all, but we just jumped in and did it. And we called it upside down podcast, kind of on the spin of God's upside down kingdom. And we were like, we're just gonna all you know, come to the virtual table. We were all kind of different, um, all Christian under the tent of Christianity, but within that very varied experiences, denominations, um, kind of backgrounds in that way. And we just kind of talked about topics that were meaningful to us at the time. And through the podcast, um, you know, hosts have been on for seasons and then kind of felt like, okay, I'm going to go work on, on this part, or I'm going to be more involved in this part of my life. And, Hmm and not do podcasting. And it's been really cool that we have then kind of Lindsay Wallace and I have, have stuck in, um, but also really 
cultivated a, a community that is growing and changing and evolving, you know, all the time. And we're in our fifth season. And now this season, we're doing the necessities. Um, hmm. And, you know, we did like the necessity of beauty, the necessity of voting, the yep. necessity of community, kind of this varied idea of what we feel like the necessities are right now in 2020 and, and God's kingdom and really integrating um, perspectives of justice and yeah. really intentionally trying to and, and not doing it perfectly by any stretch of the imagination, but mm -hmm. trying to decenter myself as a white woman, knowing that a lot of our listeners are white women and right. trying to, um, you know, get more varied voices, um, as guests. And we have Patricia Taylor who joined us this season and Elisa Molina and we're ecumenical. And so we're just trying to be a voice, um, that's a little different than what a lot of, hmm. I don't know, Christian podcasts are and trying to have still that communal element and our listeners, um, you know, we're listener supported and I know, you know, that that is like, so, <laughs> so meaningful. Um, especially in this time. I'm going to ask a variation of this question. I'll, I'll, I will, I'm, I often will ask, I'll be honest, like my more thoughtful guests about um, kind of future thought. Um, mm. It's really, it can specifically now can be like a real trick to actually think future. Um, yeah. because there's such a, a necessary, I'm a necessity, a necessary focus on the day to day. Mm -hmm. And there's been an, a th I, I think for the most part, a responsible, thoughtful pushback against productivity culture and the drive and the grind, et cetera. Like, no, slow down, pay attention today, smell the flowers, be friends, be, be, be you know, slow down the whole, all that's good. The mm -hmm. other side of the coin though, is like, you know, <laughs> most likely for folks like you and I, there will be a day 15 years down the line. And if I'm not thinking about that, I, I can also misstep. Like I can misstep if I'm, if all I'm doing is thinking about the future, but I can yeah. also really misstep if all I'm doing is staring at the ground beneath my feet and just, just navel gazing, just contemplating, just doing today. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I don't know if you've heard kind of like everybody has a different orientation to time. Yes. You're either present, past or future. I'm definitely future. <laughs> so what's it? So, um, so give me you word. like, like if, if things work out the way your better will wants them, if with podcasting and authoring and mothering and neighboring, um, if things play out for you, what does life look like for you, in you and around you 15 years from now? What, what, like if, if you're successful, if it, if, if, if you're, if the seeds you plant take root and grow, if you develop the way you're hoping to develop as a person, as a mom, as a wife, as a neighbor, as a friend, like what does life look like for you 15 years down the line? such a good question. Um, <laughs> and I'm a big, a big dreamer, but I think for me is that I continue to get to do this, that I continue to get to write what's in my heart, that I continue to get to have conversations with others who are leading me and teaching me. And hopefully, you know, the most encouraging thing I hear in the podcast world is 
I hadn't thought of that before. Hmm. Thank you for helping me see a different way. You know, like I think, I think we need more of that. I think we need more nuance. I think we need more, um, listening to people that are doing the work and not just typing a Facebook comment, <laughs> you know, like we, yeah. need, we need to listen, um, to voices that are not our own. And mm. I think that's so important. And so if I get to play a small part in helping do that, um, it's, it's truly a gift and, and it, to be able to, um, to write in, in something that, other people find meaningful or helpful in their journey as they try to love God and love others. Like that's it. That's the end game for me. Um, and, and knowing that, you know, in 15 years when you're raising kids, that's a profound amount of time. And just hoping that somehow my kids know that I love them and that God loves them Mm. and that nothing can change that. That is, that's truly, um, my prayer and sometimes I'm worried that I'm too glued to my phone Hmm. or I'm too like I gotta go down you know to the laundry room office and record this instead of you know playing Paw Patrol with my four year old and so you know like you said there's not a magic balance and I'm just hoping that everything I do can can point back to love God love others that's great thank you so much for your time yeah Justin thank you And thank you for listening to this episode of the At Sea Podcast. If you would like to follow up with Kyla Craig, and I suggest you do, you can visit her at kylacraig.com. It's K-A-Y-L-A, Kyla, and then Craig is C-R-A-I-G. No spaces, no hyphens, no nothing, just kylacraig.com. From there, you can jump to the podcast she co-hosts called the Upside Down Podcast. It's available on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and Spotify. The one she produces called Sacred Ordinary Days, of which she's not a host, still an excellent podcast, is also available in all those places. And until the book comes out, the Prayers for Parents book, you can follow along at Liturgies for Parents, which is mostly a feed at um, Instagram. I don't know if it pushes other places, but what I pay attention to it is on Instagram, Liturgies for Parents. It's just that simple. It's beautiful. If you'd like to be part of the team that continues to make this podcast happen, you can visit me at patreon.com backslash Justin McRoberts and join us. We would love to have you. Until next time.